Thank you for tuning into this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series right now called Foolish Things, a study in 1 Corinthians. Now in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul draws a sharp distinction between the way of Jesus and the way of the world. He tells us that Jesus' way looks like foolishness. Even though Paul wrote in the first century, the way of Jesus still seems foolish to many people today. So why should anyone follow it? Join us for this series and learn why being foolish is actually the wisest thing you can do. Once again, thanks for listening and feel free to check us out at tablechurchdsn.org. Good morning, Table Church. My name is Trevor Zielinski and um, so great to see you all this morning and for you all to be here. Let's read some scripture together. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Um, The words will be on the screen if you want to follow along. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not, be, not, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Trevor. Good morning, you guys. Welcome to Temple Church. I know you've heard it like seven times, but we're really excited to be here. I'm always excited. Just going to try and bring it back a little bit. Um, my name is Kelly Andrews, and I just am thrilled to have the opportunity to come and share with you today Uh, I'm a member of Table Church. I serve on our advisory council. I'm also part of our kids' ministry team. My family and I actually had the privilege of coming from Sioux Falls and planting Table Church. So we've been a part from the very beginning. That's my husband, Kevin, and our three girls, Kinley, Colin, and Kaya. They're wonderful. Uh, Pastor Phil and the team from Table Church are currently in Zambia. They are serving... um, with Poetis International and doing a number of different service projects in the community of Choma, Zambia. Phil was like, how am I going to do this? I'm going to be in Zambia. So he's like, maybe I'll record a sermon and play it up there, right? But instead, he asked me if I would preach. My initial reaction was like, nah, bro, Mm -mm, mm -mm. I'm not qualified. I am not educated. I didn't go to seminary, right? I'm a loose cannon. What if I say something inappropriate? right? Or even worse, like heretical, like, no. So anyway, I told Phil I would pray about it. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. Like you say, you'll pray about something just to buy yourself more time to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll pray about it, okay? Um, But I actually did, uh, and I actually wrote today's scripture, or like read it, and I was like, just felt that quiet yes in my spirit, and I said, okay. So here I am. I am not coming with eloquence, or human wisdom, certainly not with wise or persuasive words, like Paul said in today's passage, Um, but I am fully trusting in God's power and that he will have a demonstration of his spirit's power today. We're in a uh, a series titled Foolish Things. We've been looking at the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. We've been looking about how God uses the foolish and weak things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. Now, I want to like set the stage for the church of Corinth. Phil has been talking about Corinth and the Corinthians the last few weeks, but just in case you've missed it, uh, or maybe you've just forgotten, right? Uh, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version 
It's like how I got through college anyway. Um, Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world. Okay, tons of temples. Like think about those temples to Greek and Roman gods everywhere. It was an economic center, people coming and going. They valued fashion and commerce and entertainment. The people in ancient Corinth loved the art of rhetoric and persuasion, all right? It was certainly a form of entertainment that they consumed. They would go watch speeches, debates, people arguing, right? It's like much like Americans like consume football and TikToks, right? Like it was a place that they were obsessed with their philosophers and wise men. And Paul knew this. He knew that the Corinthians loved wisdom and philosophy. And for them, the worst thing was to be considered foolish. No one wanted to be a fool. The Corinthians were searching for answers. They were seeking answers about the mysteries and purpose of human life. Like, why am I here? What is love? What is joy? Death, like morality, ethics. But more than anything, they were searching to understand the mystery of God. Like, who is he? Why, how do he create the world? Why did he create us? What are, what's our purpose here? The people would turn to sophists for these answers. Sophists were speakers and teachers of philosophy and rhetoric in ancient Greece. They were associated in popular thought with moral skepticism and misleading reasoning. The term sophist comes from the word sophistry, which is the use of fallacious arguments, especially with the intention of deceiving. Their only goal was to persuade the crowd in order to win an argument, not to convince people of the actual truth. In fact, like they had a reputation, and it was like a sport, to be able to convince people that up was down, right? That day was night, that right was wrong. They were cunning and deceitful as they manipulated logic, and they did it well, right? thing is, is that the Corinthians ate it up. They loved it. But look at how different Paul's angle is. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul intentionally did not use fancy speech or rhetoric to persuade the Corinthians he wanted to keep the main thing the main thing, which is Christ crucified, the cross, the gospel. In verse 2, Paul resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, like, Paul is aware. He knows that he looks foolish in the eyes of the Corinthians as he's trying to land his point. But for Paul, the message of the cross is everything. It was the only thing like, not only did he refuse to cater to the cultural norms of persuasive, fancy speech, but he is telling the Corinthians that Jesus Christ crucified is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ crucified is a tough pill to swallow because the crucifixion was so scandalous. In fact, crucifixion in the ancient world was regarded as so horrible, so revolting, so degrading that you didn't mention it in polite society. Like, it was completely taboo. Like, we talk about the cross all the time. Then, not a thing. No self-respecting speaker would dream about talking about anyone being crucified. 
let alone ask you to put your faith in the cross. The cross of Jesus' crucifixion sounds crazy. Like it sounds foolish. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But Paul doesn't want Jesus' crucifixion to be missed or to be glossed over. Paul knew how to captivate an audience. He's done it before. And he could have if he wanted to. But he chose to use the simplest terms to communicate the unflashy truth of the gospel, Christ crucified. I mentioned earlier I was a mom to three girls. Our oldest daughter, Kinley, is four. And let me tell you, all right, like trying to explain God and Jesus and the gospel to a four-year-old is hard, all right? Like I don't know if you've ever tried it before, but it's like I am striking out all the time, okay? And like, it sounds crazy coming out of your mouth. You're trying to, trying to explain these really, really big concepts using really big words. And then I'm like, you don't know what that means. Pare it down. Okay. Uh, and and, and it's, it's hard, okay? <laughs> I know the gospel to be true, like with every fiber of my being, but there's something about saying it out loud to someone who is hearing it for the first time. That sounds crazy. I mean, think about this for just like a hot minute, okay? You ever seen anyone walk on water? Not me. I haven't, right? And you think walking on water is crazy, like someone can come back from the dead, right? Like that sounds crazy. The reason the cross is so scandalous is because no one would believe that God would dishonor himself in that way. In fact, it would be easier to believe that someone would walk on water than that God would allow himself to be crucified. Returning to our verse today, Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We don't picture Paul as weak or one to approach anything with great fear and trembling. But it's important to realize that not only is he preaching like a difficult, controversial message to the Corinthians, like this alone will create a little bit of angst inside, but Paul had already experienced serious physical ramifications for preaching this message. He'd already been stoned and left for dead, arrested and beaten, all because of the gospel message. The gospel sounds crazy, but when you have experienced the power of God, there is nothing else. For those of us being saved by it, it is everything. It is the power of God. All right, I want to tell you guys about a story about my dad, okay? He's going to come up here right here like, isn't he cute, right? This is a picture of my dad in the 1970s. Um, the Jesus movement okay, was an evangelical Christian movement in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Members of this movement were called Jesus people or Jesus freaks. Like maybe you've heard of this movement. Maybe you've been directly impacted by it. My dad certainly was. It was March of 1977. And my dad was working for the telephone company in Marshalltown, Iowa. He traveled with crews across the state of Iowa, transitioning aerial lines to berry lines. And he happened to be working in Webster City. That March, St. Patrick's Day fell on a Thursday. So my dad took the rest of the week off and he drove back to his hometown of Emmitsburg, 
which is a sister city of Dublin, Ireland, so that he could celebrate St. Patty's Day with his buddies. They partied hard, okay? Uh, on Wednesday night, he slept on the pool table at the pool hall. On Thursday night, he slept in his car behind the bar, and he has no recollection of Friday night whatsoever. He passed out on the front stoop of his parents' house late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and my grandpa found him the next morning. On his way back to Webster City that Sunday afternoon, he pulled off to the side of the road and he said to himself, God, if you're up there, you've got to do something because what I'm doing right now, I'm killing myself. As he finished his drive, he vowed to himself that he wasn't going to drink. He made it through dinner with his buddy Kevin without having a drink, but it wasn't long before they were back in his motel room. Kevin brought a cooler of beer and his guitar, and honestly, he said, before I knew it, I was several beers in. Out of frustration for not even being able to make it one night without drinking, my dad picked up Kevin's guitar, and he started strumming it. He didn't know what he was doing. My dad never played the guitar before in his entire life. As he was strumming, there was a knock at the door, and a young guy stood there uh, looking at the room. He was looking for his friends. And when he realized that they weren't part of his group, he asked if he could come in anyway. And they said, sure, come on in. His name was Roger. Roger started telling them about Jesus. He asked them if he wanted to know more. But my dad's friends were not interested. So they packed up their things and they left. Roger continued to tell my dad about Jesus. He asked them if he wanted to know more, but my dad's friends, or sorry, <laughs> Roger asked my dad if he wanted to know more, and he said yes. So they prayed together. Together they knelt down next to the bed, and they prayed a salvation prayer. When they finished, Roger looked at my dad with wide eyes, and he said, well, now you have to be baptized. My dad was like, what? <laughs> What's going on? Out of sheer excitement, Roger starts running up and down the hallways of this motel, shouting, I've got one! I've got one! <laughs> what did I just do? Right? My dad is like, what's going on? Roger was part of a group of college students from Abilene Christian University who came to Webster City to dedicate a small church. Roger woke his pastor up so that he could baptize my dad. It was after 10 p.m., the pool was closed, but the pastor talked to the manager who opened the door of the pool and let them use it. The entire group of students, Roger, the pastor, my dad, they all went into the pool. The students stood along the edge of the water, and my dad, fully clothed, went into the water with the pastor ready to be baptized. When the pastor dunked my dad down into the water, my dad went down drunk, and he came up sober. In that moment, he was changed by the power of God. When he came up out of the water, the group of students were singing in a cappella with the sounds echoing throughout the pool. He says it sounded like angels. His eyes were opened, and he was changed. My dad went back to his hotel room, sopping wet. He hung his jeans in the bathtub and sat on the bed. He couldn't believe everything that had just happened that day after praying. On March 20th of 1977, my dad's life was changed forever. But his life wasn't changed 
because of Roger's eloquent words or persuasive speech. My dad's life was changed because of the power of God. His life was changed because Roger heard a guitar strum, knocked on the wrong door, and responded to an opportunity to share Jesus with complete strangers. Can you imagine how foolish Roger looked? Like he knocked in the wrong room. And then he began to talk about Jesus, and he did sound foolish to those other guys. They left. But for my dad, who was being, he, he was ready to be saved by the message of the cross, it didn't sound foolish at all because he was encountering the power of God. I can honestly say that I would not be here if Roger hadn't been willing to, be, like, to look a little foolish. If he hadn't been willing to knock and to stay and to share so I have to ask you, friends, like, are you willing to look foolish? Are you willing to look just a little foolish if it means you could change the trajectory of one person's life and then their kids and then their kids? Imagine if my dad hadn't been strumming that guitar. Imagine if Roger was so embarrassed that he got the wrong room that he turned around and left. Like, what if he was so discouraged that the others weren't interested in what he had to say about Jesus that he just stopped altogether? I don't know why my dad picked up the guitar and started strumming. I don't know why Roger didn't walk away when he got the wrong room. But I do know that the power of God was at work. and He's still working today. When's the last time you've shared Jesus with someone? When's the last time that you've been willing to look foolish in order to share the gospel with someone else? I have to be really honest with you. I can't even tell you mine because I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid that I will look silly, look silly a lot, but really, you know, in that way, I'm afraid that my friends won't like me anymore. (laughs) My neighbors are going to think that I'm weird. I'm afraid that I'll make my family feel awkward. I'm afraid that people at work are going to talk about me behind my back, make fun of me. I'm afraid that I don't know enough or I won't know what to say. And to be honest, like I care more about my appearance and how others perceive me than I am about reaching the lost. I'm too caught up in these fears and the things that disqualify me that it's prevented me from sharing the gospel. Like, how many guitar strums am I missing? How many opportunities has God placed right before me to share the gospel, but I'm not willing to do it because I don't want to look foolish? We are called to bring the uncluttered truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That that sounds easier than sharing Jesus with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. If you're anything like me, maybe you're a little turned off from evangelizing to others, right? Especially in our current cultural climate. Like, if someone said you had to go evangelize, that makes you want to throw up a little bit. But if you've walked through our discipleship pathway, you know that we're not talking about standing on the corner of a street with like a microphone and a speaker proclaiming damnation to the world. Instead, 
we practice the act of hospitality and sharing with a person of peace. Mike Breen writes that a person of peace is one who is prepared to hear the message of the kingdom and the king. This understanding of evangelism is actually quite helpful. It makes it clear that our job is not to convert people. That's God's job. Rather, our job is to be aware of those who are already sensitive to God's stirring. After all, receiving the gospel is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to force or convince people to believe. So how do you know if a person is a person of peace or not? One way to find out is to ask them if you can pray for them. Okay? Rarely will anyone ever turn down prayer. Like People love it. If someone shares something that's hard, ask them if you could pray for them right then and there. And then do it. Then when you see them next, follow up with them. Hey, how's your mom? Hey, how'd that test go? Have you heard about the job yet? Simply engage with them and let God work. So as we close, I want to ask you two questions. Number one, who do you need to share Jesus with? And number two, what is standing in your way? We're afraid of looking foolish or getting turned down. But let me tell you what happened to Paul when he was in Corinth trying to share the message of the cross. In Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 10, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. He is with me. He is with you. And maybe you're here, and you've been in the church a really long time, but you've never experienced the power of God like I described today. Why not now, right? Like today, that can happen. Our prayer team is going to be in the back, and they are ready to pray with you. I know you might feel foolish walking back there or like afraid of what other people in here think, but guess what? They don't care. (laughs) If you are ready to break the chains of fear that honestly hold all of us captive, they're ready to pray with you. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all and you're ready to welcome in your life and pray a salvation prayer. They're ready to pray with you. The gospel sounds crazy, but when you've experienced the power of God, there's nothing else.